about that. Um, just a couple of things. Um, the ride for the Aslesons, that will be three. Drew is with Darcy and Trish. Um, so that would, uh, again, that's uh, Wednesday morning at 1030. They're actually flying in on Tuesday evening and spend the night. So it'll be picking them up at a uh, hotel there in, in Minneapolis. Also, the small groups, keep that in your heart and your mind. Uh, there, there's not a sign-up today. The sign-ups will start next week, so we want you to be involved with a uh, small group that we're going to call Life Groups this fall. Those are coming. And so sign up for the ministries that you feel so led to serve in. We appreciate you so much. Let's pray, and we'll uh, get right into today. Lord Jesus, thank you again for your word. Your word is life. Your word is truth. And Lord, we just, uh, we honor you that you gave us this word so that we could hide it in our heart, that we might not sin against you, that it is alive and powerful. Holy Spirit, make the word come alive to us. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, actually today and next week, we're going to finish up uh, our series on, on developing a new perspective um, as this message progressed, it was a lot of information, and so I'm not going to give all of that information to you today. Amen. Um, and so I don't, I don't want to go too long. So we're actually going to the Romans 12 passage we'll be looking at next week. Um, you can go ahead and look at that this week if you want, if you want a preview. Um, but we are, we've been in this little mini-series about developing a new perspective and seeing with a little bit more of God's eyes, discerning what He's doing in our lives. To be encouraged that as we are on this journey in life, that the things that happen, the, the circumstances, the, the battles we face, the victories, the, the defeats, the, the mountains, you know, the valleys, that he is there, he's speaking, he is not falling asleep. He is a God who never sleeps, he never slumbers. As the psalmist said, he is watching over us all the time and he is at work regardless of your life situations. He is at work and he cares about us and he's drawing us to himself. And in the midst of our lives, we can find evidences of God's work, but sometimes it takes us to get a new lens and see with new eyes because we can sometimes be going through something and we can cry out and, and not to say that you don't have those moments but sometimes we can cry out and say God, what is God doing right now and that's why I love you, you know that these David Job you see these guys that are crying out to God asking him what are you doing yet they they kept their eyes and their hearts stayed on him and that you although you might not be able to see what he's doing he's redeeming and restoring and he's working in our lives and so today, um, what I want to look at is as we talk about this new perspective, I want to talk about it in reference to our spiritual, the spiritual battle that we are in. Because each of us, we are in a battle. Some of you guys know that more than others. You might be in the middle of a battle right now, and, and it's very real to you. Maybe you're in a time of peace, and that's awesome, but we are in a spiritual battle and the battle is for our hearts and our souls. And you can see this in Scripture. And I, I want us to, uh, my heart today is not to bring glory to the enemy at all. But I want to be able to see with a new perspective of what God's saying in the midst of the battle. To be able to discern properly what the enemy is doing and how to combat him. Because he is at work. There's a real enemy. There's a real devil. 
You know, and I know in, you know, the, a lot of theological discussions today, you know, we, is it an actual devil? Is it, a, you know, is it just something that we make up? Jesus said it's an actual devil. I think we should take Jesus at his word. There is a real enemy that is against us, and he hates us. He, de- he despises us, and he wants to destroy us. And you can see this consistently going back to the garden where Adam and Eve are, are, are in the garden and the enemy comes to them, tempts them, and he calls God into question. And you see from the foundations of, of, of creation, you see um, when God creates human beings for, for his pleasure and for relationship with him that the enemy has always been battling that. And he's battling, he battled them and he's going to battle us. And he's going to fight against us. Jesus said this very famous passage. He said, the thief comes. Who is he talking about? He's not talking about a thief that we make up with our own mind. There's an actual enemy. He said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life. And so there is a real enemy. There's a real thief, and he wants to steal from us and kill us. But it's hard to defeat the enemy when we don't discern rightly or see clearly the enemy and what he's doing it's interesting if you have gone through a battle how many have gone through a battle before a spiritual battle you know that you've been in a battle raise your hand because here's here's something interesting thieves don't break into empty houses but those that have valuables if you have been in a spiritual battle There's a part of us that can rise up and say, glory be to God, I must be doing something right. Because the enemy sees in you God's plan and destiny. There is a truth for each and every one of us, not just to Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 29, 11, when God says to him, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. You know, we all, we all have memorized that. That might be up on, in your, on your wall or on your fridge. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. It's a plan for your uh, hope and a future for you. And we can all grab hold of that because God has a destiny and a hope and a future for you to walk in. Guess who else knows that? The enemy of your soul. And so thieves don't break into empty houses. And when the enemy sees the value and the destiny of God in your life, he's going to battle you to the bitter end. Again, this is not for to keep, you know, just to constantly be looking over our shoulder at the enemy or bring glory to the enemy. It's to say, Lord, we want to discern rightly what's going on in our lives because the enemy is very deceitful. Here's another truth God does not protect us from the battle, He does sometimes, but more likely, He walks with us through the battle. Jesus made that declaration, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. A lot of times when you're in the battle and you get on the other side and you can look back and you have that testimony where you can see God's hand working at, in your life. And those are, those are wonderful moments when you can look back. It is hard to see it when you're in the midst of it. But sometimes you can look back and say, God gave me grace, he gave me strength. I don't understand what was going on, but God was with me. And sometimes we come out on the other side and we are stronger than we were before. And so battle is very much a part of our walk as followers of Jesus. And we're, as we're gaining this new perspective, last two weeks we, 
We talked about, you know, getting to the place of promise. You know, the children of Israel were given the promised land. God had made these promises in the first week that we talked about. You know, the 12 spies are sent out and 10 come back and say, there's no way we can take the promised land. The, the, the enemy's too big. The giants are too big in the land. There's no way. Yes, it's a wonderful land. It's got milk and honey. It's all that God promised, but there's no way we can take it. And Caleb pipes up and he says, hey, wait a second. We can take this because we have God on our side. And there's something very real, and those, that was real battle, but there is something prophetic that it points to that we are in spiritual battle to gain the promises that God has for us. We are going to have to experience battle because the enemy is going to battle against the promises of God in your life. But battle is very much, read the Bible. I mean, it's, if, if, you're, if you think that, that walking with God is, 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 is weak-minded or, you know, as our former governor said, you know, the people that need a crutch, I'm like, try to walk with Jesus for about six months, Jesse, and then come and talk to me. Because it's not for the faint-hearted. It's not for weak-minded people. But it is, we, there's a battle that we will fight and then the second week, you know, God spoke to Joshua and he said, be strong and courageous. He kept telling him that because the tendency was to fear the enemy because the enemy was real. They had seen the enemy. They knew, they were discerning that this was, the only way we're going to walk in the promises of God is if we're walking with God. Because as soon as we walk outside of our relationship with God, we're in trouble. And so we desperately need God. And God was saying, as, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will go before you. You don't have to fear. Don't be discouraged. And he continued to encourage Joshua to be strong and courageous because the tendency was for fear. You'll have to fight, but wherever you go, I'll be with you. Whatever circumstance you find yourself in, Joshua, I will be with you. And so God wants to give us this new perspective as we fight the good of fight of faith. Isn't that interesting that Paul gets to the end of his life and one of the last things that he writes to Timothy is he says, I fought a good fight and I've kept the faith. He said it was a fight. I fought the good fight, but I've kept the faith. I had to fight. I had to stand strong. Look at what Paul went through. A lot of times we can look at his life in an observational way, and you see all the struggles and the things that he endured. This is a New Testament believer. This is not an Old Testament guy. This is a New Testament guy and all the things. And we would think that how in the world is God with you? Look at what you went through. And he described it. I was beaten, shipwrecked. I went this way, and, and, and it seemed like that the, the way I would go, that God was going the opposite way, yet he brought me through somehow. And then he gets to the end of his life, and he said, I fought a good fight, and I kept the faith. And that is the, the testimony that Jesus wants for each one of us is that we fight the good fight of faith and we keep the faith and we finish strong no matter what we're going through, keeping our eyes fixed on him. We're going to look at two passages today, again, one from the old and one from the new. Next week, we're going to spend actually, it's going to be very kind of short. We're going to actually spend more time in worship and ministry. And we're going to kind of dedicate next week to a time of ministry and, and prayer. And I will share briefly from Romans as we talk about the weapons of our warfare and how we fight. 
But I'm going to look at Joshua chapter 8. It'll be up there in just a second. But I want to give you the backdrop. Yeah, you can go ahead and leave it up there, Taylor. But I want to give you the backdrop of what's going on here. All right, so we've been walking along with Joshua here last week. And the first place that the children of Israel are taken to is, is Jericho. This is a massive city. This was a huge fortified city. The wall, we all know the story, or we're you know, somewhat familiar with the story, that this wall is huge. People lived in the wall. They could, they could have chariot races across the top of the wall. This is a place they were very confident in the structure that they had. No enemy could come in. And so the children of Israel cross, they cross the Jordan River, they camp, and here's the first city that they are looking at. That would be a little bit intimidating. You know, you think that God would go, all right, to increase their faith, we're going to just give them a little tiny um, army that's kind of weak, and uh, we'll let them, you know, build up their, you know, build up their strength a little bit and let them, you know, beat them, and, and then they'll be ready for the next battle. They come in and possibly the strongest city uh, that they would ever fight against. And so they're looking at this from a distance, and they're saying, wow, all right, we're going to really need God here. And in Joshua chapter 5, it's interesting because they've, they've got their, the people are very intimidated. The people are fearful, and Joshua's trying to, you know, the leaders, there's some leaders that are actually saying, we need to just go back into Egypt, and this is very scary, and the enemy's very real. And, uh, and, and so Joshua, they're trying to get a game plan to mobilize what's going to happen. And so this angel of the Lord, this captain of the army of hosts, Joshua chapter 5, comes up to Joshua. And Joshua recognizes him, and Joshua looks at him, and, you know, and this guy is captain of the, the, the army of the Lord. This is, an, this is probably an angel, uh, very intimidating looking, and here's what Joshua asks him. Are you for us or are you against us? I just need to get this clear right now. <laughs> We're already scared to death, and the city is huge. If you say you're against us, I think we are going to vote to go back. Are you for us? Are you with, are you with our enemies or are you with us? Who are you? And this captain of the Lord's army says, neither. Which would not give you a lot of confidence if you were Joshua. I need to have some level of confidence here. Who are you for neither? But as the captain of the Lord's army, I have come. I love that. And it says, Joshua went down on his face. And the, the, this captain of the Lord's army said, take off your sandals because the ground you're standing is holy ground. The presence of God is here. And you need to know that where the presence of the, God, presence of the Lord is, there is freedom for you. This, this is not going to go well for your enemies. But interestingly enough, he says, I'm neither, neither on your side. He was saying, I am the side. I, I'm on behalf of God. We are the side. There are no side. The I am the side. Joshua, which side are you on? That's the determining factor here. We need to know, folks, which side are we on? You know, we like for God to endorse us. God, are you for me or are you, uh, you know, for my enemies? And he says, I'm the side. Are you for me? That's the question we have to get cleared up. Are we for him? And that's one of the ways that we will experience victory. And so we got the story, all right? He tells them, here's how it's going to go down. And we all see the story. We know the story. I'm not going to get into the battle of Jericho, but it's a battle that they are not going to have to fight. 
Some armies they had to fight. This was going to be, he said, this, here's going to be your battle. And, and folks, this is, this is, the Lord has been speaking to me about this over and over again. But he said, here's the battle. Here's Jericho's battle. If you're facing something that it seems so incredibly huge and so intimidating, here's the battle of Jericho, Joshua. It's going to be obedience. That's how you're going to win this battle, is you're going to have to walk in obedience. Because I'm going to tell you something that's going to be absolutely, that's going to go against every fiber of your being as a warrior. You're not going to have to lift a sword. You're going to march around, and then you're going to go to the camp. You're going to march around that city once, and then we see it. Six days, they march around once and go back to the camp. They don't say anything. And then on the seventh day, he said, I want you to march seven times. And at the, at the end of the seventh time, I want you to give a shout. And, a, and, the, and, and they blew the trumpets, and God crushed the city. And they get, have this massive victory, the first battle, as they are walking in the promises of God. And we would love to stop there and say, God, that was awesome. They were obedient. They did what God told them to do. And you know what? What happened exactly right after that is they walked in presumption and sinfulness. And that is a guard for our hearts is when we see victory and we walk in victory, we have to guard our hearts that the victory is not about us. He is the victorious one. And we can begin to presume and, and, and get into pride because here's what happens is they were told not to take any of the plunder from Jericho. And then, you know, we have this guy Achan who was aching after all this happened. Um, this didn't go well with him, but he took some of the plunder. He wasn't supposed to. It's a corny joke. My wife just looked down and smiled. That's the sign that that was a corny joke. Sorry. <laughs> Aiken was aching. Sorry. And so this guy, Aiken, takes some plunder. They're told not to do it. And so here's the battle. The next city is Ai. And it's not very big. This is the city that you would think that God would bring them in and say, fight Ai first. They're, not, they're kind of weak. They're, they're not that intimidating. And so they just saw the hand of God deliver them from Jericho. They did not have to lift a weapon. And the, the, the men come to Joshua and say this. Of course, nobody knows that Achan has stole the plunder. God just said, don't do it. And he's got it hidden. And so here's what the men of God, they come up to Joshua and they say, we've scouted out AI, it's really nothing. All we need is a couple thousand guys. This is going to go very easy. This is not even a problem. Joshua's like, okay. And they send out you know, a couple thousand guys and they, they get destroyed. Do you see the presumption? They didn't have to fight in Jericho, but yet... They're going to speak for God. They're not going to inquire of the, of the Lord. They're just going to say, well, you know, God's going to always do that because he is obligated to us to do everything that we're going to tell him to do. And there's this advance in pride. Oh, we just need a couple thousand. Just look at what happened at Jericho. And they advanced in pride and they got defeated and they came back and they began to cry out to God, what happened? What in the world? Joshua says that he's, you know, he's laying down and he's you know, sackcloth and ashes and he's, you know, what is happening? And then the Lord speaks to him and says, get up, off, get up. Get up from your wailing. There is sin in the camp and you need to get the sin out 
Because you, what you did was you presumed on me and you advanced in pride. And the way we can be defeated, especially after a victory, is to advance in pride. And, 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 and that word of the Lord is to, we need to deal with the sin. One of the greatest weapons that we can fight against the enemy with is repentance. Is when God shows something, he shines something, and he shines the light on some area in our life to get that right with him. To be vulnerable and be transparent before the Lord. And so we pick up this story, and here's what the Lord says, and I'm, I'm, it's up on the screen here. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. I love this because he tells them to get up. They're going to, they, they're going to, they, they've dealt with the sin. This is after they dealt with the sin. They called Achan out, and, and they got the sin dealt with. And so the Lord, when, when, when there was repentance, the Lord says to Joshua, do not be afraid. So he's going back to say, if you will walk with me, if you will walk in the fear of the Lord, you don't have to be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go and attack Ai, for I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. Verse 3. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on the alert. All of you, be on the alert. Verse 7, you are to rise up from the ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. And so what is God saying through this? After they repented, he's saying, you don't have to be afraid. Do not be afraid. They got right with God and God was encouraging them. When we get right with God, he does not meet us with shame. When you repent and you get things right with God and you say, Lord, I have sinned against you. He says, then be encouraged and don't be afraid because that's the right response to me and I will walk with you in victory. Although they had gone through defeat, he was still with them. Don't be discouraged is the second thing he says to them. Then he and and and. and the third thing he says to them is walk in unity. The whole army, he says, I, I want you to get everyone together. And they had to walk in unity. We need each other. We need each other. The next thing he says to them is he says, all of you stay on alert. That is a word from the Lord is when we are fighting in spiritual battles, stay on the alert. The New Testament would call it you know, just walking in discernment of understanding. Again, this is not to constantly walk in fear of the enemy or looking over your shoulder and, and, and be constantly afraid. This is also where we don't get so hyped up super spiritual that we're finding demons under everything. The, you know, the demon, the rock demon, the, the, the rug demon, you know, and we can just see the, the devil everywhere. He's not that good. He is a schemer and he's a deceiver, but we just need to walk in discernment. And it says, all of you stay on the alert. Don't let your guard down because the enemy will look for a foothold. He looks for one little open area. And if we open one little area of our life to him, we open up a door or a window. He's coming in. What keeps us on the alert is humility. 
Because what happened is they advanced in pride toward AI. We, yeah, we just need a couple thousand guys. We don't, and basically, we don't really even need to talk to God about this, and we got this one figured out. And that is a, an excellent way to get destroyed and to walk in defeat. Humility keeps us on the alert. God, help me to stay alert today. God, help me to walk in discernment. Help me to listen to what you're saying. I'm going to walk closely to you. And then he says this, the last he says, do this and the Lord your God will give into your hand AI. And so if we are not walking in fear, not walking in discouragement, staying alert, walking in unity, and all of those things led up to him, he says, if you do those things, because I'm speaking to you again, then you will take AI. You will take the land. And he brings them back to, I think, what he was saying about Jericho. He says, Jericho wasn't about you. You didn't even have to lift a hand. But what I ask you to do is is to walk in obedience. And he was getting them back to obedience. If you will walk in obedience, if you will walk in a surrendered life to Jesus, if you will walk in unity, if you will walk in confidence and, and not fearful, I will give you the land, but it's about obedience. Secondly, I want to look at Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. You'll be very familiar with this passage. I'm not going to be breaking down the whole armor of God piece by piece. I'm not going to do that today. Um, Each piece is very important, but I'm going to spend this sermon more talking about why we need to have the armor of God. Let's read the text first. I love how Paul starts this out in Ephesians 6.10. He says, finally, even that word right there, he he has been talking to them about a lot of things. And he says, finally, I want to leave this with you, church, followers of Jesus. I want to leave this finally. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If you're wondering if there's a real enemy, a real devil, a real thief, that should clear it up. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Why the armor? Why do we need armor? Is it for dress up? It's interesting, when I was in the military, some of you military guys can understand this, but we were given two uniforms, basically. Um, In the Air Force, they had the dress blues and your BDUs, your battle dress uniform. And, you know, the dress blues were for appearance. I mean, you, you did a parade or you did, you know, um, 
a ceremony of some sort, people would wear their dress blues and everybody looks, you know, and it, and it's, and it looks good, but it's kind of to look good. I mean, it's just kind of to make a presentation, the pomp and circumstance of the military is your dress blues. You don't fight in your dress blues. And that's why you have your battle dress uniform. Is because you don't, you don't put your battle dress uniform in to go to a parade or just to show people how good you look. It's specific, specifically set up and designed for fighting. Sometimes we think the armor is dress up so that people can see how spiritual we are. You know, because we like to look flashy. You know, the dress blues kind of make you look flashy. Sometimes people want to put their battle dress on to say, look at me and draw attention to ourselves. Battle dress uniform is for battle. Each piece is designed with battle in mind and for protection. And it's interesting that Paul is giving us thing, finally, therefore, I want you to understand that you're in a fight. You're in a battle. There is a real enemy that hates you, and you're going to need to dress in your battle dress uniform. And there's a development of the battle uniform. Even today, where you have soldiers that are, that, that are putting on different pieces of their battle dress uniform. We have people that are working hard, developing new technologies to be effective as they go out into battle. A lot of time goes into the development and design of these uniforms. They give them, you know, the helmets have changed through the years. You see, you know, the World War I helmet to the helmets they're wearing. It's way different. They're lighter, but yet they, 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 these Kevlar helmets that can take more, but they are lighter weight. And it's designed to be more effective in the fight. Lightweight yet durable. The, the body armor they're wearing now is to protect vital organs. And they don't just haphazardly design these things. A lot of thought goes into the creation of these things. They test them before they let the soldiers wear them. And they say, we need to be mindful of what we're doing to give them the fullest way to be protected and the best weapons to fight against the enemy. And so Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he, he took the battle dress uniform of the day. And he paralleled that with spiritual battle. And he's saying every piece is purposeful and it readies us not to look good, but to fight. And to understand that we are in a battle. Why the armor? Verse 10a says this, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We need to understand, first of all, it's not our strength and our power. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. The way you walk in the power of God is to live a life that is surrendered daily and submitted to him. And he gives us his power. And Paul is saying, walk in that power. Don't walk in your own power. Yes, you will have this armor on, but it's not about you. It's about his strength. Paul says, in our weakness, he is strong. And humility helps us to walk in power, realizing that we have nothing in ourselves. And as soon as we presume that it's our power and strength, we're on our way to defeat. And that's why Paul says this as he's leading in there. Finally, be strong in the Lord. 
Verse 11, why the armor? Put on the full armor of God so that, and when you hear that, here he's giving us why we have the armor. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand, you can take your stand against the enemy's schemes. Put on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the enemy's schemes. There's a real enemy and he is scheming against you. And that word even scheme, is there's a, there's a game plan. And just when you think of the, the purpose and the destiny and the plan of God for your life, the enemy is scheming. He has a plan for your destruction. He's scheming against you and he form fits temptations that he are specifically related to you. He's not going to put somebody else's weakness on your weakness. He's going to try to exploit your weaknesses. And he's scheming to steal from us, to kill us. He's after our peace. He's after our joy. He's after our love. He's after our hearts. He's after our marriages. He's after our families. He's after our destiny that is in God. And he's scheming to steal from you and to take from you. Verse 12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Did you hear that? We're, we're in a struggle. Our struggle. We're in a battle, and he reminds us that we're in a struggle. So what are the enemy's schemes? It's a struggle and a battle, but here's the thing. It's not against flesh and blood. We have to realize that. That is a part of the enemy scheme is to try to make it about other people, about flesh and blood. That's why Paul reminds us, if you think of why he is, why he is so emphatic about telling us, finally, be strong in the Lord. I'm trying to drive a point home. If I can leave you with something, you need to know that the schemes, the battle, the struggle that you're fighting with is not against flesh and blood. Because a part of the plan and the scheme of the enemy is to make you think that it's about flesh and blood. It's about people. He schemes, and then what he does is he walks alongside me and he schemes, and, and then as soon as something drops in our spirit that, that, uh, that, that, that affects us or offends us or bothers us, he has somebody right there that he'll push right in your way. And then what, we, what happens is we stop discerning about his schemes and we look at that person and say, that person's my enemy. And the devil stands back and, and, his, and his plan is succeeding in our lives. We need, a, we need to understand, we need to walk in a sober reality that we're in a battle, we're in a struggle, and it's not against people. Your battle today, and this is a word for you guys, it's a, it's a word for me, but your battle's not against your spouse. 
And marriages are under attack. And the, the thing that the enemy does is, you know, the, the, that person is the closest to you. And he comes in and there's hurt, there's offense, there's pain. And then he sticks your spouse right in front of your face is when you're feeling that, 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 that scheme from the enemy. Or another place where in there where Paul says the, the fiery darts, he, he throws a dart of offense. He throws a dart of pain. He throws a dart at you. And then he, what he does is he follows that dart by putting a person in your spouse is right there. And then immediately is, you say, you are my enemy. Our children, our parents, they're not our enemy. Your boss isn't your enemy. Your coworker isn't your enemy. That person that's so difficult to get along with is not your enemy. And the problem is we objectify people because we, we need, it's almost like we need to have an enemy that's of the flesh and blood so that I can somehow feel okay about feeling bad at them. I, I need to feel bad at someone. So you pick someone that's bugging you and say, that's my enemy. And the enemy is, of our soul is beginning to succeed in us. And now he will seize on reality. He'll seize on offense. He'll seize on past pain. He'll seize on abuse. He jumps all over that. And, and what happens is that, you know, and you see people that are dealing with things from years ago. Maybe there was abuse. And that abuse is real. And that abuse is painful. And I'm not at all trying to stand here and, and, and somehow lessen the reality of that pain. But when we, when we are hit with that fiery dart of unforgiveness. And, and then later on, all of a sudden, it's that person that did this or that or the other thing in my life. Now I've got this issue in my life and I'm holding unforgiveness and I'm holding offense towards that person. And then the problem is, is I walk out here and I miss the destiny of God. I miss the peace of God, the joy of God. Now I'm walking in bitterness and I'm walking in anger and frustration. I'm trying to figure this out. Is what has happened is we have made the enemy flesh and blood. And Paul is saying, please don't do that. When you, when you are able to walk in forgiveness, what you are doing is, is you are fighting with the weapons of your warfare that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And when you release that person and forgive that person and understand your battle's not against that person, you walk in the promises of God. And that's, that's the freedom that God has for us. But we tend to make the enemy flesh and blood. It happens in the church, too. And we have to be on guard. Because the enemy is not our president. We need to know that. The enemy is not our president. The enemy is not the Democrats. If you're Democrat, the enemy is not the Republicans. But isn't it easy to objectify and make they are going to ruin this or that. They have no power outside of which God has given them. Remember when Jesus is with Pilate, and Pilate says to Jesus, he says, don't you know I have authority to release you or to condemn you? And Jesus says, no, you have no authority except what's given to my, by my Father in heaven. You have no authority outside of him. Romans 13, it says, all Authority is ordained of God. All authority. And that's why he says, pray for those who are in authority over you. 
We have to guard our hearts and, 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 and stop making the enemy flesh and blood. There is a real devil, and he hates us, and he wants us to look at different people and groups and say, that's our enemy. They're not. The, extreme, the, the extremist Muslims are not our enemy. I'm talking about spiritually. Now, if people are attacking, I understand that they're, you, know, you defend yourself, and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritually where we make... Groups of people are enemy in the spirit, and the, and the devil just has a field day with that. But extremist Muslims aren't our enemy. We need to pray for them. We need to pray that God will touch them and save them. We need to thank God that there's some testimonies coming out of the Middle East where Jesus is showing himself to Muslim people, and they're getting saved. And he's reaching to them. battle's not against homosexuals. But in our day and time, we, have, we, we, we make it that. And we, we, we get into this name-calling and grenade, and the church gets right into the fray. And I think that grieves the heart of God. We need to pray for them. We need to treat them differently. We need to come in an opposite spirit than the world does. They are not our enemy. Paul said it, your enemy is not flesh and blood. And so when you have the tendency to look, even though maybe you've been hurt, maybe you've been wounded, you have to say, God, let me hit my, get, get my eyes on you. Let me discern what the enemy is doing so I can understand who the enemy really is and to keep my eyes fixed on you. And you, we have to guard ourselves. Every day we have to guard ourselves and walk in discernment. Because that fiery dart, one little fiery dart of offense, boom. And the enemy does that. One little fiery dart of hurt, of pain. Somebody looked at me the wrong way. I think somebody's talking about me. Here's, a, here's, a, here's something to be suspicious about. Here's something to call into question. And then you're just walking in torment, and you're walking in unforgiveness, and you're walking in, you know, you're constantly trying to figure this or that out, and you have no peace, and the enemy steals your joy. He steals your love, and we just got to release people. Say, God, let me walk in forgiveness. When that dart hits me, God, help me to have faith to extinguish that thing and say, no, I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to walk in truth. I'm going to walk in who I am before the Lord. Whether they meant it for evil or not, it's that even if they meant it for evil, they're still not the enemy. We have to believe that. We've got to get our eyes off the wrong enemy. And when things happen, it should make us even more angry at the devil. And he's been way too successful at diverting our attention away from himself. And so Paul tells us this in light of telling us about that this, this thing is a battle. And he says, here's what, you, and he tells us what the battle, he says, it's against rulers. It's against authorities, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And he's saying that there's a real enemy who hates you, despises you, and wants to, to ruin you and to remove God's destiny for your life. And any way he can do that, he's going to work. We have to be on guard. And so why the armor? Verse 13. 
Therefore, put on the full armor of God. He just says it to you. He says, put on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Secondly, in verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be, you will be able to stand your ground. We need the armor to be able to withstand the, evil, the devil's schemes and to stand our ground. And then after you've done everything, to stand. So we put on the armor to stand our ground against the enemy when he comes at us. What's the day of evil? You know, you can look at that and say, well, is that a in times? Is that, I think it could be included, all of it. But it can be a day-to-day fight. It can be when, when you are least expecting it, that he comes hard at you in an area of your life. And he gives you an opportunity to be offended. He gives you an opportunity to walk in unforgiveness. And it's a day of evil that can, the enemy pushes his onslaught on you. And you, you guys have walked there. It seems like that. Could this day go any worse? This happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. And then to top it off, this happens. What will our response be that when, on those days of evil? Or if somebody offends you or somebody hurts you in some way, what will be my response. And Paul is saying, he, in, in, in Jesus, he wants us to stand our ground. When we come under attack, that we are standing our ground. And he wants us to not just respond in the flesh. That's why he's saying that if the enemy is not in the flesh, don't respond in the flesh. Offense, unforgiveness, bitterness, being critical. Lust, opportunities of the enemy that divert us. And then we walk in self-justification. And then all of a sudden, I deserve to do this. This happened to me, so I deserve this. They did this to me. I have a right to feel this way, or I have a right to do this back to them. That is of the flesh. And so we must recognize and discern the enemy's ways to effectively fight against him. And ultimately, he gives the armor of God, and it's really being clothed in the Lord Jesus Christ. His righteousness, his faith, his salvation for my soul. And I can withstand the onslaught of his schemes, is to walk in him. And it's very interesting because Paul, in this whole armor, gives us one offensive weapon. And take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. In a fight, you want to have the right weapon. You don't want to bring a knife fight to a gun or a knife to a gunfight. It's not a good idea. Paul says this: take up the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. That's the only offensive weapon we have in this whole thing. We need to know the word of God. It's active, it's alive, it's powerful. Hebrews 4, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It helps us not to sin when we hide his word in our hearts. It is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And we read more than just stories of people. We are literally reading about the Lord Jesus himself because he says, I'm the living word. When you read the word, you get him. That when the word comes forth, when it 
combines with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can walk godly. We can stand against the wiles and schemes of the devil. And then we can take this up and know it and hide it in our heart and to really, and more than just reading it or even memorizing it, which were great, but it gets in your spirit to transform your life, to give you the weapon to be able to take land. So to fight, we got to know the word. And to know the word is to know Jesus. And to be clothed with the armor is to be clothed with him. And that's why that place of surrender to him brings victory. And doesn't that sound like the upside-down kingdom, like an oxymoron? Surrender brings victory. I mean, if you're, if you're telling a real battle squad that, 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 that sounds ridiculous. Go surrender and you'll win. But in the kingdom, it's true. If you surrender and submit completely, 100% of your life to Jesus, that is the place that you're going to walk in victory. Every day, surrendering our lives to him and giving him everything every day. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you for this day. Thank you that this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it and be glad in who you are, Lord. And I pray right now, Lord, as we are just before you and we're humbling our hearts before you, Lord, I pray that you'd begin to speak to our hearts, that you would point out things, God, that we're dealing with so that we can deal with them and get them right before you. I encourage you to, uh, to be actively participating in this prayer time. And, and, and as I pray over you, and I just as you're alone with the Lord, and maybe he's pointing something out and you need to get right, just begin to confess that to him. Lord, forgive me. Maybe there's a place of unforgiveness. Maybe there's a place of bitterness. Maybe there's a place of offense. And maybe you have diverted that and you've, been, you've made people your enemy. God, forgive us. Help us to discern, God, who the real enemy is. Help us to be clothed in your armor that we can stand against the schemes of the devil, the schemes that try to steal our joy and our peace and our life in you. And Lord, help us to be clothed in the armor in the presence of Jesus to clothe ourselves with, with your very nature so that we can stand our ground when, the, when a day of evil comes and we're under attack, that we can stand our ground. God, forgive us where we have made the enemy our president. God, we pray for him. We obey scripture. We pray for him. We pray wisdom. We pray grace. We pray that you would touch his heart, touch his mind, Touch our leaders in this nation, oh God, the, the, this, this day and age that we're living in that is, it is so critical. God, give them wisdom. Help them to walk in the fear of the Lord. God, help us not to criticize them. God, forgive us when we've made the enemy other religious groups, Muslims or, or homosexuals, and we've shot verbal barbs at them, and, and, and Lord, 
we have not been walking in great compassion. God, forgive us. Forgive us, God, as the church, and help us to be on mission with you, God, to be clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the armor of God. And help us, God, to take up the word of the Lord as our sword so that we can fight effectively. God, I pray your blessing, your freedom, your life, and your love over each person here. In Jesus' name, amen.